0: The rest of us can open our Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Uh, Pastor Matt has and, and Randy have been going through a, a series of sermons talking about the various aspects of Jesus that are seen through his life um, here during the Christmas time. Uh, so we're continuing on today. We're starting in Mark 6. Verse 53, and we'll be going a good way into chapter 7. So, you want to turn there? Go ahead and read from God's Word.
1: When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed."
2: He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them.
0: After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly all these evils come from inside and defile a person this is the word of god
3: thanks be to god would you pray with me father thanks for the opportunity we have to worship and gather this morning um just know that in my own heart i i come On various Sunday mornings in different states, sometimes really excited and really feeling really blessed. Other weeks just feeling like I barely made it here. And so I just pray for uh, the hearts and souls of the people who are gathering this morning that you would raise up the lowly and you would bring down the proud, that you would meet us in our sorrows um, and also come alongside us in our celebrations. Pray that your word this morning would pierce first my heart and then those listening, that your word would have its intended effect on your people. Pray for those here today who are searching for truth, looking, and even considering giving their lives to Jesus. Pray that those who are searching, Lord, would find a hope, find answers, uh, and also a, a safe environment to pursue these things. Uh, pray that your word would teach Pierce, guide, and shape. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so there was a, a famous songwriter at the end of the 20th century. You may have heard her. Her name was Madonna. Um, she was like Taylor Swift, but now she, but old. Um, but way back in 1991, she was interviewed. Uh, by the magazine Vanity Fair. And it was, they were asking about her desire or her, inter, her sense of, did her, does her life matter? And these were some of her lines. She says this, All of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find some way to get out of that myself again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody... I still have to prove that somebody my struggle has never ended and it probably never will so for Madonna being mediocre was a label that she could not handle uninteresting was unacceptable now for others it's going to be some other label Maybe a girl fears not being on the basketball team's starting lineup. Maybe a mom fears not getting invited to some gathering of other women. Maybe some man fears the shame of being in aisle eight at Home Depot. Maybe a Muslim fears Allah keeping them far, far from paradise. So no one, no one wants to be on the outs. No one wants to be a pariah, defiled, rejected, rejected. Ostracized, damned. Now, interesting too that in every single culture, right, maybe even every single workplace, maybe even every single like large family, there's always kind of insiders and outsiders. And one of the more insightful lectures ever given uh, was way back in 1944 by a man named C.S. Lewis, and he called this phenomenon the inner ring being in the inner ring. Listen to what Lewis has to say. He says, I believe that in all men's lives, at certain periods, and many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. The feeling of being on the outside hurts so, so much that so many of us will engage in all kinds of behaviors to be let in. I want to be in the inner ring. I want to be. I don't want to be outs. I don't want to be one of the defiled ones. I want to be one of the welcome ones. And so if the inner ring says it's you're too old at age 14 to play with Legos, you find a new hobby. If the inner ring says Christmas parties can't be done without alcohol, We let the spirits flow. If the inner ring says you have to wear this brand of clothing, we buy it. Maybe you have to vote for Trump or you have to be pro-choice. You have to accept these people and practices. You have to oppose those people and those practices. We bow in humble obedience to whatever the inner ring demands. I'd like to suggest that all such stipulations could fall under this broad title of Man-made or human-made regulations for reaching the inner ring. Here are the regulations. If you do it, you're in. If you don't do it, you're out of here. So, we have some characters in our story that were the first century's inner ring. It was an elitist inner, inner ring in Israel known by the name Pharisee the Pharisees. They were known for impeccable morality and religious adherence. The lower classes respected them. The upper classes respected them. What they taught and what they did was the measure of goodness. But a new man has come to town, and we read a little bit about the summary of this man at the end of chapter 6. He shows up in a new area in a boat, and a great crowd gathers, And in the midst of that great crowd, even people touching the edge of his cloak are being healed. So this new man is popular, and this new man is powerful. And so the inner ring has to come and check on him. And there they are, chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they had gathered around Jesus. So you have this strict religious sect, this inner ring, and they're watching this powerful and popular up-and-comer. And And on such a day, there Jesus is with his his upstart discipleship band, and they're undermining the Pharisees, one of their key man-made regulations for reaching the inner ring. They're eating without washing their hands. And what we're going to see is Jesus is going to go after this single human-made regulation for reaching the inner ring in order to expose and undermine all man-made regulations for reaching the inner ring. He's going to unmask the true nature of these human-made regulations, and then he's going to also uh, diagnose the superior need. So let's look through these ideas. Jesus unmasks the true nature of man-made regulations. And the first thing he's going to show about the true nature of these regulations is all they do is produce self-righteousness. Look how this story goes. Verse 2, it says they see these disciples, they're eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And then there's this little parenthesis, Mark explains to the non-Jewish audience like us, that the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, key word, key expression, holding to the tradition of the elders. So when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees have these different regulations that are these symbols of piety. And so this idea is if you were a, you know, a law-abiding, good Jewish person, and you go out into the world, you go out to the marketplace, it is possible that you have interacted with someone not spiritual, a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And so you may have touched things that they have touched, or been in places that they have been. And so when you go to eat your kosher food, make sure you, you know, do the ceremonial washing. Uh, Some of the translations, it's like maybe just a fistful of water, and just Now, now you can participate and eat your kosher food and be undefiled from those worldly, non-Jewish people out in the marketplace. But if you don't do that, it means you're accepting contamination. You're allowing the world to enter your hands and your and your food and your and your soul and your life, and that's not okay. That is unacceptable. And they see Jesus and his upstart band of disciples not following this tradition passed down from the elders. So verse 5, the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their foods with defiled hands? Now, you read the Old Testament, you, you read the Mosaic Law, they did have certain regulations about purity laws and cleanliness laws. And the way I read those passages in both Exodus and Leviticus, I think what the Lord wanted was a God-mindedness for his people, whether they were in the kitchen or in the boardroom or how they built their home or how they interacted with people. But what the Pharisees did is they added a layer, a very thick layer, to the law of God and they call it the tradition of the elders. So if you do just what's in the Old Testament, you get like a C+. Plus. You pass. But if you want to be in the inner ring and you want an A, right? All these overachievers, I'm a recovering overachiever. You want an A? Follow the tradition of the elders. Wash the kettles. Clean the hands. Here it is, and here it is for you. But what Jesus does in this section is he he unmasks that these regulations are ultimately just producing self-righteousness. All those fancy hand-washing or kettle-washing techniques accomplish nothing advantageous. Notice how Jesus replies in verse 6. He quotes Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, it says Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Hypocrites. Hypocrites was the uh, an actor on the stage who wore masks. You are mask wearing hypocrites. Cuz God's word is written about you and these are the words. God speaking these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. It's empty worship. There's nothing really there. Their teachings are merely human rules. It's a mask of goodness, but unmasked, it's just self-righteousness. You think about, it, it, it's the, it's the you, you have these regulations, and that allows you to go down And look out and look and see other people, look down on them, make a judgment about them, compare yourself to them, and then you come away feeling morally superior because you do these things and they do not. In a conversation last night with my wife, one of my own man made regulations was exposed. Someone who's late. And in the conversation, someone who had been historically late, I put them in this lower status because they're late. I don't find anywhere in the Bible, I mean, when is Jesus ever on time? (laughs) Always, but it always appears late. I mean, some of the ones I was thinking in my own heart you know, that that I do, that makes me feel morally superior, that from what I read in the Bible has nothing to do with morality. You better keep a budget. If you don't have a good budget, you're not a good person. Might be wisdom, I'm not sure it's moral. Calling someone back within a reasonable amount of time. Like, what are the man-made regulations that you use to judge yourself great And look down on others. These are a masks of goodness, but unmasked it's self-righteousness. Or think about it this way. In our culture, someone posts something on Instagram in support of something like gay rights or in favor of President Trump. Now people feel compelled, one way or another, to like what you say or oppose what you say. And if you don't do it, or if you do, people begin to evaluate you or you evaluate yourself one way or another. But do a few words or a pictures posted on social media have anything to do with the moral condition of your heart? It might make you feel good, but it doesn't make you good. It's what we talked about this a number of weeks ago. It's what the media now calls virtue signaling. You're posturing yourself as a defender of some moral position over another. But these acts in no way determine if you are actually moral or virtuous. And what Jesus says, in the economy of God, God hates this. It is worthless. It is vain. There's nothing good in this. You're far from God if this is where you're finding your identity. In fact, he says, it's a rejection of, what, of God's true commandments. What is truly good, what is truly virtuous, what is truly life-giving. It's, accept, it's accepting something less, far less, than what is truly righteous. It's a mask, Jesus says, and it's a cover-up for self-righteousness. That's the first unmasking of human-made regulations for reaching the inner ring. It produces self-righteousness. The second true nature of these man-made regulations is that they are self-serving. Look at how he continues in verse 9. Jesus continues, still talking to these Pharisees, this elitist inner ring with all their regulations. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses did say, right, Moses said, <laughs> quotes the, ten, number, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And then he quotes another passage in the Old Testament. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, that's what Moses said, but this is what you say. If anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, I'll explain that in a second, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Man-made regulations are a cover-up for selfishness. So in the first century, the Jews had a practice called Corbin, and it was a version of deferred giving. Uh, A person would dedicate their home or their inheritance to God's temple. But they wouldn't have to give their home or their inheritance to the temple until they were dead. And so they could just live in their home and live off their wealth. But if mom or dad needed help, you would say, sorry, mom, can't help you. This is dedicated to God. Right? This is God's money I can't I can't share this with you all the while that uh dutiful son or daughter is just is just using this stuff themselves sorry mom that money is dedicated to god which is a direct violation of the fifth commandment now let me explain this a little bit so we obey man made regulations then we think we're righteous and then we start feeling confident about how we conduct ourselves, about everything we want to do. So, a couple of examples. You might vote for a Democratic political candidate who is in favor of universal health care aid for the poor. You feel good about yourself for voting that way, and so when you see a poor person or someone in an immediate financial need, you say, I've already done my duty. If it weren't for all those money-grabbing Republicans, that person would have help. Or maybe you vote Republican because you believe job creation comes best through free enterprise. So when you encounter someone unemployed in need of of your assistance, you say, I already did my best to help that person. If it wasn't for those market illiterate Democrats, this guy would have a job. Now notice that following some sort of external made-made regulation ends up being an excuse for yourself to be greedy and selfish. I did my thing, how hard is it to vote? (laughs) I did my little thing. I have to do the really good thing. I look good, or I support what I think is good, but I'm not actually good. Jesus says such behavior is in direct rebellion against God and his commands. Verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You're holding on to some man-made status symbol of moral superiority. But you're not standing under God's standards. His high level of expectations. He says, Jesus says in verse 9, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to absorb, observe your own traditions. Verse 13, You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Now, for those of you who are not Christians or don't believe in God yet, my my next few statements might come off as offensive. But I want to be clear on what Jesus is saying, particularly to religious people, Christians. He is saying that anyone who adds to God's word or subtracts from God's word stands in direct disobedience to God. Man-made regulations for reaching the inner ring aren't just a bad idea, they are bad. Not just a bad idea, like they are bad, they are wrong. They put a person in violent opposition to God. Think about it this way. So when a couple gets married, there are some universal principles in play that keep them united. Marriage requires the sharing and keeping of secrets. Marriage requires regular communication, sexual intimacy, the sharing of responsibilities. But what happens if a husband decides to add a few man-made regulations that they believe mark the goodness of a husband? So he may think, you know, as long as I do the dishes every night, I'm a great husband. If I put the kids to bed every night, I'm a great husband. If I bring home the paycheck, I'm a great husband. But then guess what happens? They do their one or two man-made regulations for the description of being a great husband. They feel very self-righteous about their performance. I may be talking a little bit autobiographical, by the way. But then what quickly comes with it is then a whole bunch of self-serving behaviors. Maybe he excuses himself to go out with buddies for poker whenever he wants or eat and drink whatever he wants, or take personal weekends for golf or fishing. Now, but of course his wife doesn't get poker nights or fishing weekends. Now, these aren't just a bad idea for marriage. They're bad. They put the man in direct violation with his wife. Doing certain self-appointed deeds to justify doing whatever else you want does not make a marriage, and it doesn't work with God either. So Jesus exposes that. It says, when you start having these man-made regulations for reaching the inner ring, it actually is a declaration of self-righteousness, and it's ultimately self-serving. He's got one more unmasking to do here at the end in verse 14 through 23. And he's going to say the true nature of all these regulations is also self-deceiving. Fourteen. So Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, understand this, right? So understand, that means you don't understand, do understand, know this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what what, what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, into their stomach, and then out of their body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, and he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, and arrogance and folly all these evil come all these evils come from inside and defile a person so jesus pleads for the crowds to listen and then he talks and he warns the disciples of their dullness of their hearts and then he unmasks the self-deception behind man-made regulations And he's saying, these regulations, they only deal in the externals. It's just external. It's it's not internal. doesn't really change a person into making them good. Clean hands and clean food do not impact the true nature of a human person. The center of the human person, the Bible uses the expression, the heart. And it says, the heart goes up unchanged when you're just obedient to these external regulations. In fact, when we focus on the externals, the evil just lurks unchecked. And unchecked evil just grows. It's like black mold. It's just growing. The externals don't touch it. Jesus says in verse 23, all these evil come from the inside. They defile a person. This is why miners dig deep into the stone before they set off the dynamite. Dynamite on the surface doesn't penetrate the core. This is why when you have a headache, you don't take Tylenol and rub it on your forehead. Right? Oh, come on, I want to feel better. Now you ingest it. And you get it into the system so that it actually does some work. And we're self-deceived if we think man-made regulations will ever really get us in. Really, really get us... What do I mean by get us in? Well, let me just play on this, this little analogy. I've spoken a little bit about wanting to be on the inner ring. And most of the inner rings that we seek are rings that would make us have a sense of friendship or fame, notoriety, security, and hope. And so we follow the steps that the inner ring has described. And maybe we get in or maybe we don't. But Jesus' point is even if you do or if you don't, you would still be at odds with God. You would still be defiled. Like you, There's no you know, DIY with God. You can't do it yourself. You can't muster it up. But Jesus is, is hinting here. He doesn't tell it here. We've got to read the rest of Mark. But he's hinting here that God can actually, or Jesus, can grant you access to the true inner ring. He can deal with the true nature of our problem. Because we were made to be in a relationship with God. And God himself is the three-person God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the ultimate inner ring. It's the ring of hope and life and power and grace and relationship. We are made to know this God and walk with this God because God and only God is our only place where you can have security and real hope. All other the all the other competitors, they're just counterfeits. They look like they might provide the real thing, but they can't. And so what Jesus is actually doing in this section is giving you this, this double warning in this encounter with the Pharisees. He warns that if you do all that the Pharisees tell you to do, if you do everything the inner ring says you must do to get in, all you're going to end up being is a self-righteous, self-serving, self-deceived soul. But additionally, the second warning is Jesus is saying, you also won't be in a relationship with God. You'll be far from Him. Your heart will be defiled So the heart of this passage, is a discussion about the heart, (laughs) the inner world of a human person, because it is there that God is rejected, sin is cherished, and evil percolates, and no outward activity, no human deed can change the heart. Only God can change the heart. Only God can reach the heart. Only God. One of the other prophets in the Old Testament was a man by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel proclaimed God's words in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. You can turn there if you want. It's this great promise. But it also presents our great problem at the same time. God has to come and he has to do what he has promised. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God speaking and says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. These external things do nothing for the heart. God has to take out the hard heart. Self-righteous, self-serving, self-deceived heart. it has got to It's got to do a work there, otherwise it's going to stay stony, it's going to stay dead. Natural question would be like, well, how? How can God do this? If our actions have put us in violent opposition to God, how can we be made right with God? And the answer is standing in the middle of this conversation with the Pharisees. His name is Jesus. Jesus is going to willingly take our defilement so that we can gain his purity. Jesus takes our shame so that we can receive his honor. Jesus leaves the inner ring of heaven so that we can be brought into the inner ring of heaven. The Apostle Paul summarizes this so well in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and through 14. Let me read to you this glorious summary of why did Jesus have to come? Galatians three ten through 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse, of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the similarities between this passage and Mark 7? No one can do enough good works, enough external things to avoid the curse. Can't do it. You're still going to be defiled. You're, not, you're going to fail. And so we can try and, try and do things to reach this inner ring, but we'll still be in violent opposition to God. But Jesus takes our curse so that we can go free. He buys us on the cross. He pays our debts and frees us. He can purify the heart. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what he gives. And the good news at Christmas, right? the good news of Christianity is you can be 100% right with God. 100% forgiven. 100% made new by the Holy Spirit. It's the profound work of being made right with God. I read this text, this encounter with the Pharisees, and I always want to be on Jesus' team, but I see myself as the Pharisee. Just want to do the right things, God, and make it in. And what Christmas reminds me every time is that the only salvation that was available, the only salvation that would work, is the Son of God had to come. I can't purify my own heart. You can't purify your own hearts. Acts 15.9 says, God purifies their hearts by faith. So hear this, brother Christian or sister Christian. You are pure today solely by the work of Jesus. You might be tempted to look back this week and determine your status based on how many Bible verses you read or how many prayers you offered. But though these things are good, only Jesus purifies. And if you have Jesus, you are pure. Hear this, non-Christian Christian. No matter how far you've run from God, no matter how many false inner rings you've pursued, today, if you trust in Jesus, God will purify your hearts. He'll bring you into his family, the eternal inner ring that provides forgiveness, security, hope, and life. And if you're like me, I'm a recovering Pharisee. My encouragement to you this week is instead of looking out and looking down on people based on your standards of moral excellence, look in. Look at your own hearts. Interesting that the Lord's Prayer teaches us to regularly come and say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Are we having that moment before God every day where we actually see the true condition of our own hearts, receive once again his great mercy, so that when we go out into the world, we will be merciful and not judgmental? Years ago, there was a dutiful Catholic monk, and he traveled to the city of Rome. And there in that city, there were these 28 steps. And supposedly, these were the 28 steps that Jesus climbed to go see Pilate, and they'd been moved to Rome. That was nice they got them there. But if you climb these steps, and you said the Lord's Prayer, a prayer on each of the 28 steps, and you got to the top, you could know that when you died, you would immediately be taken into heaven. Didn't have to go through purgatory, didn't have to suffer anymore, right to heaven. And so this man climbed each of the 28 steps. He prayed each of the 28 steps. Prayers, And when he got to the top, he asked the question, what if it is not so? What if this didn't work? That question haunted him for about seven years. Until one day in studying the book of Romans, he read that the, those, they are, people are justified by faith. They are made right by God by faith. I trust, not in themselves, but in what Jesus Christ has done. That man was Martin Luther. And there's been many people like them. They give up on their own do-it-yourself attempts to get to the inner ring of God or to some false inner ring of some human standard that will never satisfy. But those who trust in Jesus can know that their hearts are purified by faith. Let me pray. And we'll take the supper. Father, I pray for my friends here today that are, I assume, several like me, recovering Pharisees, that need to just be reminded today that Jesus alone purifies, and our performance does not matter. It's never enough. And I, I pray for others, the Lord, though, that are, aren't struggling with self-righteousness today, they feel low. They feel beaten and bruised by the world. They feel like there's no way they could ever, ever be loved by God. I pray that they would know afresh that God loved them so much that He gave His Son, that by believing in Him, they can have eternal life. They are made right immediately. They can know the goodness that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people marked by mercy, because it will show that we have been touched by the mercy of Jesus Christ. Help us to be humbled, but also overjoyed at a God who would purify our hearts by faith. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.